Hello, everyone, and welcome to Long Story Short, a podcast where we review two-sided topics on the minds of college students and condense them into informative, civil, 30 minutes or less in order to create wider campus discussions. Our stories presents Long Story Short. episode. The first year of the Biden administration, President Biden came into the office during a global pandemic and as a first year fraught with controversy. This episode will explore ideas and opinions on President Biden's first year and will consider what the rest of his term will look like. Today with us is Dr. Dave Bueller. He is a Regents Professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Utah, teaching courses in American politics and in the Masters of Public Administration program. Bueller served as Utah's eighth commissioner in higher education from 2012 to 2019. Previously, he served for nearly 12 years as associate commissioner for public affairs, responsibility for government and media relations. He also served as interim commissioner for eight months in 2008. Commissioner Bueller taught as an adjunct professor of political science at the University of Utah from 1990 to 2006, and was a member of the University of Utah Board of Trustees from 1999 to 2000. Dr. Bueller served 12 years as an elected official, including two terms as a member of the Salt Lake City Council from 2000-2007 and one term as Utah State Senator in 1995-1999. On the City Council, he served as a Council Chair in 2002 and 2006. In the Senate, he served as Senate Chair of the Administrative Services and Capital Facilities Appropriations Subcommittee and Vice Chair of the Executive Appropriations Committee. He served eight years in state government, including four years as Executive Director of the Utah Department of Commerce. And as a member of the staff of Governor Norman H. Bangader, he was also an executive in private business with the national testing firm for eight years. A native of Salt Lake City, Bueller received bachelor's of science degrees in political science and history from the University of Utah, a master of public administration degree from the Brigham Young University, and a PhD in political science at the University of Utah. He is married to the former Lori Goesland. They are parents of five children and grandparents of six. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing great. Great to be with you. Uh, thank you for being here with us, and thank you for dealing with the technical difficulties sure, that we're dealing sure. with today. Sure, that's all right. So let's just jump straight into it. Um, how do President Biden's first 100 days compare to previous presidents, in your opinion? Well, I think the 100 days is kind of an artificial mark that there's so much that cannot be done in just 100 days. But I think when we consider President Biden's first year, First, we have to start with how it was he was elected. And if you look at the exit polls from the 2020 campaign, it's pretty interesting that in a lot of ways, Biden's election was as much about a repudiation of Donald Trump as it was uh, endorsement of Joe Biden. For example, um, uh, 7% of Trump voters in 2016 voted for Biden compared to only 4% of Clinton voters. But maybe more important, but anyway, many of the people who voted for Biden were saying that they they were voting more against Trump than voting for Biden. And so I think that he came in with people mostly wanting a change and then uh, looking to him as somebody who was competent, very experienced in government and uh, would be a steady hand. I, I understand that sentiment because that's where I fell. I'm a little more progressive than a lot of Biden's policies 
But I know at the end of the day, I'd prefer a moderate to a wannabe fascist. So do you think what people were voting for him for has followed through? Him being a steady hand with lots of experience? Well, he's faced a lot of, of big challenges. And I think his first few months, he, he got off to a, a good start. Uh, oh, I found the number I wanted to share. Can I share that? 68% of Biden voters said they were mainly voting against Trump, compared to 53% of Trump voters saying they were mainly voting against Biden. Mm -hmm. So I think that's good to put into perspective. Now, you know, where did he have success? Uh, the vaccine rollout, very successful. But one thing that I think uh, caught him and caught many of us by surprise was the number of Americans who just refused to get vaccinated. And so another thing that goes into why he was elected, the number one concern of voters in 2020 who were voting uh, for president was getting control of COVID-19. And the fact that COVID has not gone away, that has hurt Biden's rankings. Uh, even though it maybe would have gone away if everybody would have gotten vaccinated. So this is kind of illustrates something that's important about all presidents. They only control so much, and yet they get the uh, blame or credit whether they really had control or not. Yeah, yeah. That's very accurate to the experience of a president, right? Mm -hmm. All good things and all bad things are their fault, even if right. they control 2% right. of the actual right. outcome. That's right. Kind of pivoting a little to um, the talk about sustainable climate and things like that. What do you think about Biden's administration goal for having clean energy by 2050? Well, I think it's a great goal, but he's he's running into some challenges in getting the votes for what he wants to do. His climate reforms were part of the massive Build Back Better bill, which they were able to eke out a victory in the House, but of course is stalled in the Senate. And so this is some of the areas where he's really having challenges. I think that President Biden has had one of the most aggressive agendas of any president in recent history, and yet he's trying to do so with very, very thin margins, really almost a non-existent existing margin in the Senate, where it takes the vice president to give the Democrats their majority. And so um, it's audacious in a way what he's trying to do. But it's it's very, very challenging to to move uh, significant reforms and significant legislation with almost no majority of, of uh, Congress's support. Do you see a lot of the problem coming from having a gridlocked Congress? Because you say that he has a very aggressive um, policies that yeah. he's trying to push forward. Is it the fact that he's coming into a roadblock with a gridlocked Congress? Well, that's part of it. There certainly is a strong partisan division, and this has been going on for at least the last 20 years, if not longer. Uh, but it's just having a, coming in with a very slim governing majority. Now, I will say, you know, again, when, you talk, when I talked about uh, how he had a lot of uh, victories early on, he was able to get the, um, the American Rescue Plan early in his administration in March of 2021, which put $1.9 trillion into the economy. But he was that only passed on narrow party line votes. And uh, then this was on top of, of course, the previous pandemic relief that had been passed under Trump, which was done with basically universal support early on in the COVID pandemic in like March of 2020. So and then he was able to get the bipartisan infrastructure bill through 
which that was a bill that, especially in the Senate, attracted a lot of Republican votes. So those were successes. But then in the summer of 2021, things started to get a lot more difficult for President Biden. Mm. Um, and I know it's impossible to forecast what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. Um, <laughs> looking at the midterms that are coming up, do you think things are going to get better or worse for Biden in trying to pass his policies? Well, I think 2022 is going to be a very challenging year. I mean, it started out with uh, trying to get the voting rights bills through, which, of course, we're not able to get through the Senate with their 60 vote uh, rule. That's not a new rule, but it's very frustrating when you can't get 60 votes and 60 votes is a very high bar. And and whether or not that should continue is, you know, certainly open to question. Uh, but uh, and then I think the other thing that really uh, has challenged him was at least his public uh, rankings were the kind of the messy withdrawal from Af Afghanistan. I don't think that most Americans really want us to continue to stay in Afghanistan forever. But uh, after 20 years, it, it, you know, he makes the case that it's probably long enough or maybe has been longer than it should have been. But um, that withdrawal, you know, as, as Americans see that on television, it's not a picture that a lot of Americans like to see. It looks kind of like we've lost after all of this and uh, was kind of messy. So I think that that hurt his um, his reputation he came into office with as being a very seasoned professional. So for 2022, with the midterm elections, it's going to be very challenging. Uh, typically, the president uh, in power loses seats in Congress. Again, he goes into it with very slim majorities. So at least the conventional wisdom is Republicans will probably win in 2022. And then that will make governing different this, this next two years. Yeah. If that happens. If it happens. Now, yeah. things could change. What, could change. what change would have to happen for it to be more successful moving forward? Well, I'll give you one example. If the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade in the next few months, uh, it's possible that would energize Democrats and, uh, and particularly uh, not only women, but could energize women voters and others who were concerned about that, that that might uh, overcome the traditional, you know, out party wins the midterm. But, uh, you know, right now it's hard to see there being enough of an upswell on that issue or anything else that would really uh, turn things around for the Democrats in 22. I think then the, the key in his last two years will be, can he govern enough from the middle to win some Republican support in Congress to get some things done or will Republicans get the blame for not addressing things? And then he could use that in a re-election in 2024. Mm -hmm. I guess we will have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah. What is your stand on the Remain in Mexico policy? Um, well, I think that the, the issues of the southern border has been another big challenge. That um, he came in after Trump had done a lot of things that were very controversial and not probably very well thought through. And so Biden really inherited a mess there. Uh, but one of the challenges for any president, and certainly Biden has faced this, is challenges on so many fronts. So the southern border issue was a big challenge, continues to be a big challenge. Meanwhile, COVID has not gone away. It's resurged. He's facing a number of really difficult foreign challenges. I mentioned Afghanistan, China, and kind of their rise and their, their you know, challenges with them, threatening potentially uh, Taiwan, which is a very thorny 
uh, problem. Uh, North Korea, you know, again, firing off missiles, still trying to deal with uh, Iran and, and their and nuclear policies. And then most recently, Russia and Ukraine. Any one of those would be enough to keep a president pretty busy. <laughs> and he's facing several of them while at the same time, time trying to deal with a very aggressive domestic agenda. It's very challenging. Yeah, it definitely is. I guess my last question here is, what are your hopes and what are your fears for Biden's last few, the next three years of his administration? Well, I think that a number of people, uh, again, I think that his election was largely a rejection of Trump. Um, but uh, as problems accumulate, you know, will he be able to find ways to to really govern effectively? Or does he end up being just sort of a caretaker that he can't get anything done? Now, all presidents have quite a bit of leeway uh, in foreign policy. He could certainly pivot and focus more, more of his attention or all of his attention there. But voters tend to vote unless there's a war or a really huge foreign crisis. They tend to vote more on domestic policy. Now, one other thing I, I didn't mention is the economy rebounded pretty significantly uh, under Biden's term so far. Part of that is probably the money pumped in uh, during the Trump year with uh, the COVID response, initial response by Congress. But then, you know, the uh, American Rescue Plan on top of that and infrastructure. But uh, it's going to be an interesting thing because if the economy is doing well, Biden and the Democrats should do better in 22 than it looks like now they're going to. Mm -hmm. So we'll just we'll have to see. Yeah. A lot of a lot of elements up there's, in the air. Right. There's a lot of things in the air. Yeah, for sure. I guess I just want to give you the floor right now for any closing thoughts you might have about administration or any topics we didn't get to. Well, I think that the the key thing is uh, to see, uh, you know, part of the pushback on Biden from uh, Republicans and moderates is, hey, we thought we were electing a centrist, not Bernie Sanders. And uh, that, you know, particularly in the Build Back Better and some of the other progressive legislation, it's, it's, it's not seen that this is the moderate they thought they were voting for. And so whether Biden finds he can govern better, being a little bit more moderate, and then if he does that, if he can keep the progressive uh, wings of his party in check, it's going to be a real challenge. And I think you have to also add to this, Biden is the oldest president we've ever had. And every day he, he gets older, like all of us do, and how that might factor in. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting time for political observers to see how, how he fares over the next uh, over this coming year and with the midterm elections. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is I would just encourage, it's important for uh, each of us as, as Americans to be uh, aware of what's going on in politics, to try to gain uh, you know, uh, perspectives that are not always in, in line with our own viewpoints, but to hear both sides and to be involved in the election coming up. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I My really pleasure. appreciate it. I hope you have a good day. You too. Hey, long story short, listeners, we're looking for people to fill positions this next semester. If you're interested in being a writer, podcast panelist, or interviewer for our team, please apply on the U Student Media website. We'll link it to our show notes. Our second guest with us today is a Mr. Ryan Hamby. He is currently a third-year finance major, a business scholar, and currently working in IT. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So why do we have you in today as an expert? I was brought in because I think in Utah, we have a lack of leftist voices, so to speak. There's a lot of 
I don't know, this is a controversial opinion, but I think it's a theocracy. And for lack of a better word, we don't really hear the opposition. And a lot of the time we kind of sweep what is the opposition under the rug. And we just assume that people are like-minded. Mm-hmm. So kind of taking it to a national frame, how do you think Biden's first 100 days compared to previous presidents? There, there were 100 days. <laughs> I don't think it was necessarily something that was overly impressive. I don't think it was necessarily something that was overly unimpressive. It was just kind of, I think it's just an, an, an average 100 days for an average or just slightly below average to sometimes slightly above average president. Mm-hmm. Just kind of there. How do, you, how do you think the current pandemic has affected his administration? I, you know, the first 100 days were good for him because the pandemic was going away, not necessarily going away, but it was diminishing. And then I think he got ahead of himself and there was a lot of assumptions made that, hey, this is under control. And then all of a sudden we have Omicron and here we are. Yeah. So he was able to get in control for a little bit with the original variant. But as people that have not wanted to get vaccinated... Is created these variants and now it is no longer under control again. Yeah, and part of that was poor planning. Mm-hmm. He didn't order more tests. He didn't, well, you know, there was a lot of assumptions made. And in something like this and politics in general, you can't really make assumptions. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, what do you feel about Biden's goal to be clean energy by 2050? Do you think this is feasible with the current Congress? I don't think anything's feasible, to be honest. I don't think America is, I don't think we're really going to achieve any of our goals, especially the moderate goals that they set. I don't think it's really possible. I don't think with how our current news system is structured, how our current political system is structured, how everything is structured, especially because we have 85 year olds. And I think the oldest is 87, 89. Like they don't care, but it doesn't mean anything to them. So making stupid goals or lofty goals that aren't even that great. I don't really see it happening in general. You don't see it happening because the people that are currently in power have no interest what happens in the next 30 years, per se. That and, I mean, their donors don't care. And that's who's ruling the country. If you're going to get $800,000 from ExxonMobil, you're going to do what ExxonMobil says. You're not going to do what your voters say or what the country needs. You're going to make yourself richer. That's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is what is your stand on the Remain in Mexico policy? I think... Biden's just a, another neoliberal politician who says things and then does the opposite or does the smallest things possible and says, oh, look, we support the gays. And that's what we get. So is there anything that Biden and his administration could do to gain your support? Yeah, he could be a decent human. <laughs> I don't know. I think personally, someone who's in his late, late 70s and can hardly speak and doesn't keep to his political promises and doesn't really do much besides kind of sit there while our democracy erodes and our voting rights are taken away. I don't really see me myself supporting them. Um, Unfortunately, I think the way our system's set up, especially where progressive voices are usually ignored or shoved to the side, there isn't really an effective alternative. And then we're left to to vote between Joe Biden or Ted Cruz. And who's going to vote for Ted Cruz? Yeah. Obviously, you don't like Biden, but I'm assuming as well that you wouldn't have supported Trump. So what would you have had done at the 2020 election? There's a little bit of hypocrisy in saying this, but I think Bernie was our best choice, even though he is old. I think I don't think any candidate was particularly great, but the Biden neoliberal class, especially where you get people like Pete Buttigieg in his 
secretaries who have no experience besides being a town and being mayor of a town and God knows where for, for nothing and wasn't even by all metrics a great mayor. But he gets positions because of identity politics and things like that don't rub well with me. And then we see other people like Elizabeth Warren who say one thing and then do the opposite. It's all kind of a game. And I think our best option was Bernie. And again, he's kind of got the short end of the stick, especially in Iowa where he won, but no, Pete won, even though he didn't win. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And continue with this hypothetical that let's say that Bernie got the nomination and it was Bernie versus Trump and we'll say that Bernie won. Would you not be worried about a gridlock Congress, the current situation that Biden is running into right now? I think that that's almost, you can't really avoid a gridlock Congress at this point. That's just what's going to happen. I think the fault with Bernie is he didn't really have a plan for getting his legislation through. His plan was, oh, we'll just march and we'll get people through in that way, which I think is applying pressure in that way is an effective way to get legislation through. I don't know if that would work with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I think it's more effective than what we're doing now. I mean, what really has Biden done besides say, hey, Joe, you need to vote for this and look where we are. We just lost a, a voting rights piece when now we have cinema, who's just an object failure. We're just sitting here and nothing's happening. And now we have nothing to run against or run for, campaign for in 2022. And our hopes of getting anything more done are kind of just... I'm saying is the future's bright. <laughs> the future looks very bright. Yeah. I guess at this point, I just want to give you the floor to give any closing thoughts you may have in this whole situation. I don't think we really have the potential to improve as a country as things currently stand. I don't think that having 80-year-olds in Congress is an effective way. I think an amendment that would limit for one term limits, and then I think we need a reverse limit on age, where we, we have a limit on how old you have to be. We need a limit for how old you are. Currently, just how Congress is set up in general is just a whole fucking mess. Believing that things were perfect in the 1700s and that nothing has changed since then and that George Washington was God and everything was perfect since then isn't really an effective way for moving through to the future. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Hope you have a good day. And here we are with our panel. Uh, we just listened to the interviews. And before we get started, we're going to go around the table. We're going to say name, fun fact, and major. And pronouns. And pronouns. Thank you, Maya. Uh, Jorge Jimenez, he, him, his, third-year poli-sci. Shout out to the U of U Red Rocks. I'm JJ Rogers. I My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a fourth-year English major, and a fun fact about me is I'm getting a tattoo relatively soon. Super excited about that. Ooh. <laughs> uh, my name is Maya Harris. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm doubling in history, teaching, and political science. Uh, fun fact, I can do a cartwheel. There you go. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Um, I'm Riley Atkinson. I use she, her pronouns. I am a third year peace and conflict studies and sociology majors. And fun fact, I've been listening to Lord Huron lately. Ooh. Apparently That's his so music's fair. pretty good. <laughs> Hi, my name's Ben and I like to party. I use he, him, his pronouns and I'm a third year poli-sci and peace and conflict studies major. 
We finally have been in person, y'all. I just, everyone give a round of applause. (laughs) DC no longer gets our man. Yeah. Well, and we have our new panelists. JJ, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, Given that this is kind of his expertise, Ben, do you want to get us started and talk about what you thought about the two interviews? Yeah, I thought they were both very well thought out. Um, Dr. Dave Bueller's interview was really, um, it explained, I think, a lot of the external factors that are affecting the Biden administration, things that are going to make it difficult for them in the midterms, regardless of what Biden did. And I think that um, Ryan Hamby's interview was a little bit more like emotionally raw and more of like just an outspoken opinion of what he thought. I agree. I think a good way to look at it is Ryan sees the game that is politics because frankly it is a game and rejects it whereas Dr. Dave kind of swallows the pill and accepts the fact that things are that they are the way they are but you have to play the game to be able to change anything well i mean he was in politics Mm -hmm. for a long time so i mean i think he did a really good job of like talking about these issues in um a more what's the word i'm looking for in a more succinct nuanced yeah, in a more nuanced, succinct way, um, I, I think we do need to recognize that he has played that game of politics. Mm-hmm. The starting point for all of this is, yeah, it would have been nice to have Bernie. I frankly am a Bernie supporter. But the first priority, and as much as I don't like this, the first priority was to get the wannabe authoritative dictator out of office. Mm-hmm. Um, and a candidate that was able to unify the moderates enough with the progressives would be the best idea, right? Or the the lesser of two evils. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Honestly, I've been entirely disconnected from politics ever since the election and ever since they tried to overthrow it on the 6th because I have no expectations whatsoever when it comes to, poli- to any policies being passed. Valid. <laughs> Very valid. Yeah, we need to... Yeah, right now, I mean, you shouldn't have much expectations with them. I think right now it's about keeping together a coalition until Trump dies. Mm -hmm. And then I think we need some pretty structural reforms to the way that we elect politicians, whether it's ranked choice voting, Mm -hmm. open primaries, who knows? Just right now, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like the Democratic Party should be like two or three different parties right now. So should the Republican Party. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like we are the one of the few like so-called, you know, democratic countries in the world that is just this duopoly, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, most of the, like, clearinghouses for democracy that, like, rank democracies put us as, like, a flawed democracy at the moment. And we're going into a downward spiral. Um, and you're right, with a two-party policy or a two-party system is not the best, <laughs> just to put it lightly. But I think... I disagree with you, Ben, that we have to wait for Trump to die. Because at this point, it's no longer about Trump. Didn't his fans a couple of weeks ago boo him because he was talking about the oh, vaccine? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that was, that was got, an off-the-cuff remark. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. boo. Like, no, exactly. No, so, what are you supporting now? <laughs> Trump might have harnessed the power of the monster that is um, this radical right. But he's not the first, nor will he. Well, he was the first, but he won't be the last. That's true. The idea is how do we make it so 
people that whose policies are restricting other people's rights and freedoms don't make it into office or power. Okay, I have a question for everyone. I want your thoughts. Do you think our system causes polarization or do you think polarization has caused us to look at our system in a new way? It's a chicken and an egg yeah. question, but I want your opinion. I mean, I think it could be both. Our our system is antiquated and old, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact, I mean, this was discussed earlier that we have 80-year-olds dictating what's happening to our country when the average age is much less than that is not democratic in the slightest. Um, and so I think that, yes, these old laws did cause polarization, but also polarization has gone up increasingly, um, worse and worse. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that is a byproduct of the pandemic, of so many global warming, <laughs> of like everything that's happening that no one can seem to agree on. But I, I don't know if you can say that the chicken came before the egg or otherwise in this mm-hmm. situation. And the thing that's being taken into account is that at the end of the day, the middle class is shrinking. European Americans are starting to become the minority. That's that's the essence of it. Uh, they're having less children. They're reproducing at a lower rate, and this country is becoming more diverse. Mm-hmm. And that really scares the people that are in power because they're the dying breed. All right. Do we have any closing thoughts? Vote. <laughs> yeah. Midterms yeah. are coming up. Yeah. It is 2022. You may feel like local elections don't matter, but I would argue that they, in fact, matter more than your national elections mm-hmm. um, because those are going to be the people that are actively affecting you and your life. Um, so get out there and vote for your local elections, for your midterm elections. Everything. Please vote. Get out there. Vote. <laughs> yep. Vote. Oh, Democrats. <laughs> Far too often, don't get energized for local races, don't invest in local races. And so across the country, we have state legislatures, we have secretaries of state, governors that are far right, that do not represent states that they are supposedly representing because Democrats aren't putting the investment and infrastructure necessary to make local races work. I'd also say stay informed. Mm -hmm. I know it's a cliche and everyone says it. And it can be incredibly overwhelming to look at everything. But even if there's just a couple subjects that you're really passionate about, like, for instance, Dr. Bueller said, Roe v. Wade, like that's going to be a game changer. And that's something I personally have been looking at just, I don't know, very upset. (laughs) But just try, just try. And that's been a long story made short. Thank you for listening. Long Story Short is an affiliate of Our Stories and University of Utah Student Media. And please make sure to list our social medias. Our Stories, O-U-R dot S-T-O-R one E-S on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and soon to be TikTok. And you'll also find our handles on the description of the podcast below. Thank you. Special thanks to Connor Nygaard and Parker Service for audio editing, Maya Harris and Riley Atkinson for the intro and cover graphics, and the University of Utah.